Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. All right, we're going to make a real harsh transition. Ask the question. Uh, we're going to show a, a really quick video clip. Okay? Have you ever been in a moment that you wanted to get out? Have you ever been in a moment, found yourself in a place or a situation where you just wanted to get out? This is that. go on. <laughs> if I die, tell mom I love her. She's like, if you die, I'm dying with you. <laughs> so I just, I love in the moment that she's like, oh, sweet Jesus, please. Wait, and she knows where to call, right? She knows where to call. I can't tell. The first time I watched it was with subtitles and says, God, I'm praying for myself. But when you listen to it without subtitles, it kind of says like, I'm peeing on myself. And I'm not sure which one it is, right? You ever been in a moment where you just wanted to get out? Or you've been in a moment where you never, ever, ever wanted the moment to end. You just wanted to pause time and hold on to it. Hold on to it to say, I never want this to leave. We're going to talk about two kinds of monumental moments in our life today that that happen that aren't just like once in a lifetime moments but like these kind of moments come to us throughout life the first is you want it to be over as soon as possible or you want it to last forever and so you either are trying to like get out or cling to it right sometimes these moments can be sad airports are full of them goodbyes at airports when you it's a sad moment that you want to cling to but you're you're clinging to that person because you, maybe you don't know the next time you'll see them or if you'll ever see them again times before a serious surgery when you're with somebody and you're just you're clinging because you don't know what's coming so you hold on sometimes the moments are good and they're fleeting and you wish that they could stay like summer break if you're a kid and if you're a parent, you're like, yes, okay? You cling to summer break, and you wish that it could just keep going because it's so wonderful, right? Or sunsets. Now, I don't know about you. A weird kind of embarrassing thing about myself is back in the day of film cameras before digital cameras were a thing, uh, I'd, I'd go on trips, 
and I would, I would take whole rolls of film at sunsets or sunrises. And people would look at it and like, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's the same thing 34 times. Did you get doubles? Because I just need one. Right? But I would like, there was something so powerful for me about watching the sun either come up uh, to begin the day or go down to end the day that God was in that moment and I wanted to capture it and I just wanted to hold on to it. So that's, that's one kind of moment. Either get out or hold on. That's, that's a moment that you want to cling to or run away from. The other kind of moment, the other kind of moment is a moment that hits you and you're so struck by it that it changes you. Not just something you want to hold on to, and this is the moment, and I want to keep this moment, but a moment that hits you, and it does something to you. It changes you. It transforms you. I've had a number of these in my life. Years and years and years ago, I was attending as a youth pastor a conference called DCLA, and there was a time of worship that was just filling up the conference hall. Um, And the worship was... um, there was just something different about it. And in the middle of calling out Jesus as king, the fire alarms went off. And I'm not kidding. Everybody, everybody in the room knew there was no fire. Everybody in the room knew that it was a distraction that was coming on purpose. It was weird because I, typic- I didn't typically think like that. But I looked around, nobody flinched. People were like, man, it's a fire. Somebody's going to deal with it, but it's not me. And I'm going to stay here in this moment, in the presence of God, and I'm going to worship. And that moment was something that I loved and wanted to cling to, but it was also something that penetrated me. And it changed the way that I looked at worship. It changed for me the potential that could happen in worship. When you call out the name of Jesus and when you're offering yourself to him, that changed me. I had that the first time that I came to Damascus Road. When Leslie and I were visiting, the first time that we stepped in sort of spying on all you guys, and we walked in, I I remember the space, and I remember the songs, and I remember the moment to say, I already love this people. I already love uh, this group. And I'm, uh, I'm being moved. I'm being moved. And I'm being changed in the process here. God is moving me. They don't always have to be big and magnificent. Sometimes they happen in the little things. Leslie and I went out uh, on a date within the last week. And we were, uh, we were grabbing appetizers up high with a view of the capital in both lakes. And the sunset happened. And it was just beautiful. And then we finished that. And we walked around the square Uh, to another restaurant, and as I was walking, holding her hand, this kind of moment said, man, I love my wife, and I love this city, and I want to grow in how I love her, and I want to grow in how I love this place. I don't want to just stay in this moment. I want to grow from this moment. And that's not like a, you know, like a huge earth-shattering deal, but it has the power to change Two different kinds of moments, right? One that we cling to or run from, and one that just does something in us that changes us. We're going to talk about uh, that kind of deal today. If you have your Bible, you can open up to the book of Acts. 
so Luke, Luke, if you if you're not very familiar with the Bible, the New Testament starts with the four Gospels and the life and ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, and those are attributed to the people who wrote them. So the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus as, uh, from the perspective of Matthew, from the perspective of Mark and Luke and John. So Luke wrote Luke, right? Luke then says, I'm going to write a second book that goes beyond the life of Jesus that tracks now the life of the church after Jesus leaves. And Acts is that book. So people talk about the, Luke's, the Luke-Acts combination, both by Luke, um, and now Luke is beginning to say, what happens next? What happens next? He, we've seen Jesus. We've walked with Jesus. We've lived with Jesus. We've learned from Jesus. We've watched him beaten. We've watched him killed. We've now watched him uh, raised from the dead. And Acts begins in that space. Jesus is back from the dead, which is just incredible. He spends time uh, with his closest friends, with his students, with his disciples, with the people around, as he's ex- instructing them toward what is coming. And Acts starts there. And we're going we're gonna to read uh, 1 through 8, but then we're going to focus on what happens next. So this is, this is how the book of Acts starts in verse 1 of chapter 1. Luke writes, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, and he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus comes back and they're like, hey, Jesus you're alive again. That's incredible. Now are you going to be king the way that we've expected you to be king? Are you going to establish the kingdom? Are you going to raise Israel back to its place? And Jesus says, the way you see is not the way I see. There's, there's stuff going on. God is moving, but it's different than what you expect. You don't know everything that's coming, but you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. you got to wait for it. It'll come. And then this happens next in verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Why are you standing there? What I want to do this morning is unpack these three verses. Now, as a confession, 
Acts 1.8 is like the key verse of the book of Acts, right? It's exciting to say, you'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses. And we focus on that. And then I have tended to kind of just slip by and get on to say, okay, how has the church moved? Like Jesus ascending, cool deal, but I don't know that there's a whole lot to gain from that. And I think there's really good stuff if we just slow down and say, wait, what happened? What were they thinking? What was going on? And so this morning, that's the deal. I want to go kind of just thought by thought through these three verses to unpack them, to say, what, what can we learn from this? And what would it do to us if we got this? Verse 9 says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of sight. This is a different Jesus, Right? They've been with him. They spent three years at least in ministry with him. They listened to him teach. They watched him heal. They saw him do miracles. He provided food. He walked on water. He brought people back from the dead. He, even after he was killed, he came back from the dead. But this is different. They've never seen him fly, right? They're with Jesus and they're like, this is something new. Jesus was just talking to us about power, about witness, and now like, whoa, what is going on? This is a glorified Jesus. This is not just Jesus with them, not just Jesus coming for them to seek and save the lost. This is a glorified and exalted Jesus. Do you know where he's going? He's going to heaven. He's going to his throne the coronation came and he received the crown of thorns and then he was crucified and he went down low and now he was lifted up and now he's being raised up. He's going to sit on the throne. This is a glorified, exalted, buff Jesus. Right? And it says a cloud kind of hid him. This isn't the kind of cloud like the eclipse happens and you're like, I hope it's not cloudy so I can see it. And a cloud just passing like, man, we were watching him and now he's gone. Thanks. Lots, lots of people think Luke is saying a cloud here is not just your ordinary everyday kind of cloud. And one of the clues to that is if you look back through the pages of the Bible to say, where else do clouds happen? And what is going on in the midst of the cloud, you start to see that there's something pretty intense happening. If you look back into the pages of the Old Testament, like the Exodus, when God calls his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, led by Moses, uh, by God, how does he lead them during the day? It says a pillar of cloud, right? Now, this isn't just like the, the, the wind was going in the right direction that day and they followed a cloud, this was clearly the presence of God that was leading them. Said a cloud by day and a fire by night. Uh, they get uh, into the wilderness and Moses climbs up the mountain, Mount Sinai, to receive the Ten Commandments. And he's meeting with God. And what happens to the, what happens to the top of the mountain where everybody else down below can't see what's going on? What happens? A cloud comes and sits this isn't just the weather pattern for the day. This is the presence of God enveloping Moses, enveloping the mountain, and his presence was so intense. It happens with the tabernacle. 
before the temple is built. They had this kind of a tent of a temple, tent of a meeting place where they could worship God, where they could uh, continue to worship and set up things that would remind them about who he is. And as they set up, they stood back. And what happened? God filled the tabernacle with his presence in the form of a cloud. His presence was all over that. Jesus, at the transfiguration, when he goes up and he sits on the top of the hill, on the mountain, he sits down, and there are figures from the Old Testament talking, and kind of a cloud is hovering all over the place. Cloud in the Bible isn't just cumulus, right? Cloud in the Bible represents the presence of God. You can see it, too, another kind of thing happening If you look back to 2 Kings 2, Elijah has been a powerful, powerful, powerful prophet. And if you know the story of Elijah versus the 400 prophets of Baal, where uh, he does this kind of test with them to say, you light it on fire, do your best, or call your God to light it on fire, and they can't. And Elijah taunts them, and then he calls on the name of the real God. It's like, fire from heaven came down, right? Elijah reaches kind of the end of his ministry, the end of his life, and he doesn't die. He's carried up into heaven. And he's got a student who's been walking with him, a disciple, Elisha. Elijah and Elisha. And when Elijah is ready to leave this earth and be carried up into heaven, Elisha says, I want a double portion of your spirit, which is to say, make me like you. I want to be like you. And there's a baton passing as this whirlwind cloud kind of takes Elijah up and the baton gets passed. If you take those instances and you say, could this be the same kind of cloud? I don't think that's much of a leap. I think Jesus, exalted Jesus, Jesus who is God, is being raised up, lifted up, And the presence of God is all over that. And it's incredible. And it takes their breath away. And their jaws hit the ground. And as we'll see in a moment, it's not just awe, but it's baton passing. Right? Jesus says, my time is done. You're going to do greater things than I did. My ministry here is done. I'm going to go up and I'm going to intercede for you. I will be praying for you. I'll be here with you. My spirit is going to come and fill you and empower you and you will know who you are and you'll have a power that comes from elsewhere. But, but it's your turn. It's your turn. This is wow, wow, Jesus. Now what we, what we can take from this is that Jesus is both personal and powerful. And we don't get to pick, right? We don't get to pick. I think lots of times we gravitate toward the one, uh, the one that we want. We want a Jesus that is nice. We want a Jesus who is kind and who is soft, who will always welcome us and always love us. And that's true, who will always love us. But that's not all he is. Jesus is also God who loves us but is powerful and is holy and is different from us. And you can see the loving and different Jesus, right? You can see the loving and the holy Jesus, the personal and the powerful, as he's raised up into heaven to sit on his throne. 
verse 10 says, while they were gazing into heaven as he went. So they're in this moment. They're in this moment where maybe they're at a place where like, please pause. Please just stop this. I would love to hold on to this. This is incredible. And I've always read this. This is my own bias. Maybe my own emotional bias. I've always read sadness into this uh, moment. You know, like, they've been walking with Jesus. They had this time with Jesus. He got killed. That was brutal. He rose from the dead. That was, like, earth-shattering. And now he's with them again. He's, they're together. And he's going to do something. And he leaves. And they're like, oh, man. I think that's my own bias. I don't think that's what's happening here. Acts says, as they were standing, gazing up into heaven. And if you flip back to the last verse of Luke. Luke gives us a clue into this moment. Luke 24. Starting in verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him. And returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple blessing God. If you can wrap up their emotion in the moment, there's awe, there's worship, and it's producing joy, right? It's not leading them towards sadness and grieving. It's producing them toward a joy, an exuberance, a worship. It's like, wow, wow, I love that. And what did it do to them? And so they're standing there gazing, jaw dropped. And now this is where we get into the two different kinds of moments because they come to a crossroads here, right? There's one kind of awe. There's one kind of awe where you you want the moment or you want to get out of the moment, but it's there and you can hold it. We might call this, as time goes, you might call this moment chronos, like chronological time. It's moving here, and you wish you could pause it, but you know it's fleeting, and you know it's going to keep going. But this is just how time happens, right? It just keeps on going. And this isn't, you can take a moment like a sunset and say, that was awesome. If you're a fan of Saturday Night Live from like two decades ago, maybe, and Chris Farley, and you can, just, you can hear his voice saying, you remember that? You remember? That was awesome, Right? There's a moment that says, wow, something special is going on here. Or you watch old film of girls at Beatles concerts and what the awe was doing to them as they're passing out on the stage. They're in a moment of awe, right? I'm not sure it's changing them. To some degree, I hope it's not. But, but it's awesome for them. Or if you've ever met a famous person, you guys ever met or like bumped into a famous person? My freshman year in college, I went on a mission trip, and we went through the Miami airport. You know who we saw? John Cicada. Anybody know who that is? (laughs) No. Good stuff. Good music. And if you go back and, like, YouTube John Cicada, you'll rock the rest of the day out, okay? (laughs) I just thought it was a big deal because it was famous or sort of famous, Right? Here's a guy that I wouldn't normally see, and I recognize him and like, wow, that dude is something. 
that dude is something. We were skiing one time in Colorado, and Chevy Chase is behind us in line. I guess. I didn't see him. Leslie did. So I didn't even get that moment of awe. I got robbed of it. If you meet somebody famous, you might, and you get a chance to talk to them, you might get into this, uh, uh, I, there's a million things I wish I could say, and none of it is coming out. Okay? You get starstruck. It's that moment. This happens, this kind of moment happens with the Olympics, or at least it does for me, where I'm sitting on my couch and I'm watching all of these athletes who have been training for years and years and years, and they do things which seem physically impossible. They would be physically impossible to me, right? As I sit on my ch- uh, couch and put chips in my mouth. Okay? But they're doing things, and I'm like, wow, did you see that? Did you see that? That was incredible. These kind of moments we watch and we replay. We watch the reruns. It's like episodes of The Office or Parks and Rec. Like, I just want to keep watching and watching. And and I know it happens, but it's awesome. I love it. Right? But there's a different kind of moment. There's a different kind of time. It's not just a show to be replayed. It gets in and it changes you. While the one we'd call Kronos, this we'd call Kairos. This is a moment of such deep impact that it challenges you in who you are. It challenges the way you live. And it has a way of being used by God in a catalytical way to hear his voice and be transformed and be moved by him. Kairos uh, moments don't always happen in the um, specifically divine way. Like you, uh, you find a moment of some kind of awe and you want to grow because of it. So, like, I love going to conferences or reading books or hearing from people who have gone before and hearing from them unpack either the Bible or ministry or leadership or something. Justin and I just... Uh, last week, spent a day together driving up to De Pere, and we got to sit in a room with other pastors uh, with some guy talking about church health. And as we're going through it, like I remember a moment to say, this one, this is what God is talking to me about right now. This is where I need to put my attention. And it was like, God, you're here. And I love learning from these guys, but right now, this is what I need to pay attention to. And I want to grow. I want to change. I want to keep going. When I was in high school uh, playing soccer, there was a guy named Journey Herbeck who like, could just weave in and out of the defense or in and out of us if we got in his way. And we all kind of just watched back and said, the team is yours. Do what you want to do. Right? We actually got better when he graduated because we couldn't stand back and watch him anymore. But watching him produce this, I can get better. I can grow I want to get better because I want to be able to play alongside him. If you want a picture of real awe in the New Testament, you look further a few pages into the book of Acts and Acts 9. There's a guy named Saul who has built a name for himself and is at the top of the religious elite. And he's persecuting and killing Christians. And as he's walking down the road to Damascus, which is where we get our name, God slams him on his back. And this bright light 
blinds him. And God shows up. Saul, what are you doing? And for the first time, though he's blinded, for the first time in his life, he sees. And Saul becomes Paul. You want to talk about a Kairos moment that changes you. His very name changed. His identity changed. And he got up from that place. And he couldn't see for three days. But for the first time in his life now, he's seeing things clearly. God penetrates him. And Saul, in the power of the Spirit, goes on to be like the lead missionary, bringing the gospel to places it has never touched. Because, because of what God has done in him because of this moment. And he doesn't just say, that was awesome. He says, I'm different because of it. I'm different. The apostles are standing there gazing at Jesus. And they, even after he's gone, they just keep staring. They're stuck in a moment. And God doesn't let them stay stuck. The end of verse 10 into 11. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Most people, when they study this, will come to the idea that these aren't just normal men, like passers-by, and they're like, you see something? There's nothing there. This is likely a reference to angels. They're just there. Two guys in white robes. Dudes don't do that. Like, hey, where'd you come from? Angels on the scene. And it is a form of rebuke. It's a form of challenge. Like, what are you doing? You heard what he said. Wait for it. But you have a job to do. Don't stay stuck in this moment. Don't gaze into the sky where Jesus is no longer. He passed the baton. Now you have something to do. It's like Acts 1.8, where Jesus said, you'll receive power, which is yet coming at this moment for them. And you'll be my witnesses. Witness what? Well, witness this is a part of it, right? Exalted Jesus. You get to witness. You get to see this. It's combining that in Acts 1.8 and um, Matthew 28.18-20 with the Great Commission. They say, Jesus says, I've been given all authority. Now go make disciples. Go make disciples. Help people follow me. Follow me and help people follow me. And you help them help people follow me, right? Disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Go and do this. You get this combination. And then also the Acts 1-4 that says, wait for the Spirit. Don't run ahead of God, but don't get stuck in a moment. When the Spirit comes upon you, you have an identity, a power, and an authority that you have not known before. You need to live out of. Don't stay stuck. Because there comes a time when we have to stop watching video footage. We have to stop practicing. And the game begins. In high school soccer, my coach, I thought, was brilliant. He would say, there's three bosses in soccer. There's me in practice. I will teach you, I will coach you, I will tell you what to do. I am the boss. You listen to me and you follow what I say and you'll be better for it. Once the game starts, you're the boss. Don't ask me what to do once the game is going. 
If you come out, I'll be the boss again, and I'll coach you. You go back in there. It's your turn. When the whistle blows, the ref is the boss. You listen to him. Don't give him any squawk. Okay? If you know these, you'll do all right. So game time started, and we played. And we played with confidence because we knew we had been coached well, and we knew who we were and how we could play. When you look at Jesus, when you look at Jesus, do you have a sense of awe at what he has done? And then the question moves from that into now, what does he have for you to do? Not just what he has done, but as he passes the baton to you, What does he have for you to do? Because it's game time. We can't stay stuck. We have to live this now. If you do nothing, if you just look at God and you're like, yeah, you're pretty awesome, and you maybe legitimately have awe at God, but you do nothing with it, you're just a consumer. You're just a consumer. And people have actually said, you can get really spiritually fat if you just take in and take in and take in and then don't do anything with it, you will not be healthy. As much as you think you are living in the presence of God, if you're not doing anything with it, that is not a picture of health. If you are moved, if you have awe and you are moved and transformed, then do something. Luke 15 gives us this picture of the the parable of the prodigal sons, right? The lost sons and the younger one who goes off uh, and just does stupid stuff and the older one who stays home and does good stuff but is crazy judgmental. And the, the question uh, is always asked, well, which brother are you more like? Which character are you like? And you're like, well, I'm like the younger brother or I'm like the older brother. Or I'm, like, I'm going to cheat the question. I'm going to say I'm kind of a combination of both, right? That's the right answer. And Henry Nouwen wrote a book, a short little book called The Return of the Prodigal Son. It's so good. And he says, what if, what if we're actually called to be like the father? That we don't just rest in our identity as one of the lost sons, but because Jesus found us, now we can act as a father figure to others, that we would be welcoming people that we would be acting in the place of God, not in place of God, but in the place of God for others, that we incarnate what God has done and we live it out for others. What if we're called to be like that father in the parable? We are not going to sit still. We will move. Verse 10 says, While they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This Jesus, the one you walked with, the one you lived with, the one you learned from, the one who taught you, the one who modeled for you, the one you followed after, the one you were friends with, the one that you bowed down before, this, this Jesus will come back. And what does that cause? 
It causes a sense of encouragement and peace. I can be bold, and I don't have to be uh, unsettled by life. I can be steadied in Jesus and have peace in Jesus. In the midst of the turbulence, I can have peace. But it also produces a form of accountability, right? Because Jesus was here with you. He's gone. He's coming back. And you'll have a conversation when he comes back. It'll be a joyous return, but he will ask, what did you do? Did you stand gazing the whole time? Or did you take the baton and did you run with it? Matthew 25 is this picture when Jesus comes back, right? Parables toward the end where uh, a master gives his servants uh, sums of money and says, I expect you to do something with it. I will hold you accountable to doing something with it. Don't just bury what I've given you. Matthew 25 kicks off with this parable of ten bridesmaids, right? And they're all waiting for the groom to come, and some of them fall asleep while waiting. And Jesus says, when I come back, I don't want you sleeping. When I come back, I want you waiting. I want you looking for me. I want you holding on to the, to the knowledge that I am coming back. Don't fall asleep. Don't miss the party. Be aware and be looking and be ready to come in to this celebration. And then the, the parable of the sheep and the goats, where judgment is based on what we do. And you can't separate this from the gospel to say it's all works-based, but when Jesus says, love God and love people, that gets real. You cannot claim to love God and not love people. And the parable of the sheep and the goats shines light on that. How did you love people? Love God and love people. And you will be held accountable. The question will be asked, what did you do with what I gave you? Titus 2, 11 through 15 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. We wait, and yet we live We follow Jesus because we are changed by him and we move for him. What should we do? What should you do? First, I want to tell you to wait. Like, pray. You don't, like the apostles were given the charge, wait for the Holy Spirit. We don't want to run ahead of God. We also don't want to run behind God, right? And the way to hear him is to ask. The way to hear him is to pray. And so I want you to pray, God, what do you have for me? What is my baton? What is my ministry? What am I doing so that I avoid getting spiritually lethargic, spiritually fat, 
What am I doing? And I don't, this is not a prayer of condemnation. I feel so guilty that I'm not doing something. This is a God, show me. Show me who I am. And show me the baton you have for me to carry. Because I want it. I want it. And I want to run with it. And I want to do a good job. So show it to me. You can beg God in this. Show this to me, God. Pray on your own. Pray in community. Talk about what God could be saying to you in your life. And what are you doing because of that? What are you doing in response? And I say it's time for us to keep meeting together, to pray together as a church, as a whole, as a community. To set aside Sunday nights once a month to say, we will come. This is not, just, this is not a program. We're going to do these things and we'll get God's blessing, right? This is, we need to hear from God. If we're not hearing from God, what does it matter? This church, if it succeeds without God's spirit, is a waste of time, right? We need to hear from him so that we can continue to be changed by him so that we can move in step with him. Please come next Sunday night as we call out on him together. I went to uh, a camp with Elena, my oldest daughter, this summer. Camp Paradise Dad Camp. Uh, where the whole week is focused on uh, each other. And the simple teaching of the three days we were there was listen, trust, walk. Listen for the voice of God. When you hear it, trust the voice of God. No matter if it seems crazy or mundane, trust him enough to walk it out. Be moved so that you move. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. It's not just about us. It's about people who see us and by seeing us, see Jesus. And they get to glorify him as well. Jesus is not just our friend. He is also our king. And I'm really excited. Uh, next week, we're going to jump into a new series that is uh, the primary point of this next series is to be in awe of God, to love God, to see him and his character for who he is and how he acts. We're going we're gonna to spend time lingering through the names of God that are revealed in the Bible about who he is, what is God like, And our primary response to seeing God is worship. To say, it's not about me. God, you are awesome. But it is about me. In that when I see him, it informs who I am. Right? When I see God's character as provider, and I see me as the one provided for, that changes how I go through life. When I see God as Lord, as King, and me as servant and son or daughter, that changes, that changes how I live. Our primary, our primary goal in this next series is greater worship. May our eyes be opened in awe of God 
so that it informs us and we move. We are able to live out of that because of who he is. I want us to be in awe so that we can be changed, so that we move. He is coming back and it should propel us. It should move us. For Paul, everything changed the day he met Jesus. I want that for, to be true for us too. Let's pray. Father, you are good and you are great. You are good to us and you are strong. You are holy. You are other. And we worship you. We bow down before you. We are not like you. You are different from us. And it is good and right for us to have a fear of you that doesn't make us run away but makes us bow before you in reverence and in awe. We love you. Would you help us to see you? Would you help us to bow before you in awe? And would you pick us up from that place so that we could be changed, that we could be transformed, that we could move following you? Show us more about who you are. Teach us about who you made us to be. Help us to grab our baton and run. We pray in Jesus' name.